Welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Reverend Derek. This is a very special episode called A Tale of Two Tarot Decks. In this extra special episode, there isn't actually a human guest. Instead, I will be interviewing two tarot decks. Speak the charm of me. There will come a time on the planet Earth Technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will lose This is the Arnamancy Podcast. The world is weirder than we know. Join your host, Reverend Derek, in his diverse array of amazing guests in an exploration of tarot, magic, the occult, and the history of Western esotericism. The Arnamancy Podcast exists thanks to the support of generous listeners like you. Please consider supporting this podcast for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Now, I know what you're thinking. Tarot decks don't talk. But what if they could? I suppose the first thing you'd be thinking is like, they're going to be very, very unreliable guests. Who knows what answers will spring forth from their papery little mouths. I'm going to be interviewing two decks. First, an old and slightly crazy friend, my first edition copy of Robert M. Place's Alchemical Tarot. And after that, a brand new friend, the Moonlit Hermit Tarot from my friend Jay Swafford. I'm going to be using a tarot uh, spread that was made specifically for interviewing tarot decks. So what use is this technique? This is a technique that some tarot readers, when they get a new deck, use almost immediately to figure out what the deck is going to be used for, what the deck is there to teach them, uh, those sorts of things. This spread can supposedly help a reader forge a deeper connection with their divination tools. But this might not be a very old tarot tradition. I searched around online for early examples of this, and the earliest one of these tarot interview spreads that I was able to find on the internet is from the Eclectic Tarot Forum in a 2010 post from a user called Fire Raven. I found a number of other spreads in ver- on various tarot blogs and on other websites around the net, but this is the earliest I was able to sort of pinpoint a date on. All of the other posts also do seem to be derivative of the spread originally created by Fire Raven. Here's what Fire Raven said. They said, I just got the Tarot of Transformation in the mail yesterday. Fascinating cards, by the way. And came up with this interview to get to know it. My thanks to Tor, Wavebreaker, and Wisp Wisp Wings, whose own new deck spreads on this topic forum inspired me. Now, don't you wish cards could answer these questions in plain English instead of pictures? Nevertheless... Something tells me that I'm going to start interviewing all of my decks. I checked around. I asked some of my witchy friends and some occult friends and some astrologers and geomancers. Uh, I went to the Hermetic Agora Discord to ask about how people check on their divination tools. And it turns out that interviewing your divination tools isn't really all that unusual. You know, even before that, I was sort of thinking about like when you use a pendulum, 
one of the most popular pendulum techniques is that you typically ask at the beginning of a session what kind of movement means yes, what kind of movement means no, what kind of movement means maybe. And you use that to sort of interpret the results of your pendulum reading. So on the Hermetic Agora Discord, uh, several people responded with various methods that they use to query their own tools. One person said that they do regularly use a tarot interview spread when they get a new deck. Perhaps the most interesting answer that I got was the concept of using already trusted divination tools to ask about the reliability of new divination tools. But of course, this brought up the important question, where does the chain of inquiry end? How do you make sure that you trust the initial divination tool? And this led to even more questions, such as, where does divination come from? But we're not going to get into that right now. My friend Andrew Watt said that when he uses geomancy tools, he will often ask them forthright, are you reliable? And if they answer no, he puts them away. This line of inquiry just led me to think about the possibility of unreliable narrators in divination tools which seems like a good time to talk about my first interview subject. My first interview subject tonight is Robert M. Place's The Alchemical Tarot. I have a long history with this deck. It's the first edition, uh, so I don't know exactly when it was published, but I believe in the year 2000 or 2001. I won it in a raffle back in 2003 or 2004. When it came up, in the raffle. It was just a simple drawing. I somehow knew that I would win it before my name was drawn, which felt really, really weird at the time. It could have been that I was already feeling weird just because of the environment I was in, which was an environment full of mystics and occultists and esotericists whose names were all in the hat for this particular deck. But when I got the deck and I started looking at the artwork, I fell in love with it. It is rich with alchemical symbolism, and it's not even as richly packed as newer editions of, of Robert Place's al uh, Alchemical Tarot. For many years after that drawing, for many years after I first got this deck, it was my primary tarot deck. In fact, it was my primary divination tool. I used it as a focus for tarot meditation. I used it to divine when I was doing rituals. I learned a lot of tarot with this deck and spent a lot of time with it before I ever read for other people. And when I did eventually start reading for others, I used this deck frequently. But very often, the readings were weird, uncanny, strange even. Maybe I wasn't experienced enough with tarot decks to realize how strange these readings were, but also sometimes strange things would, would happen while I was reading with this deck. I remember one occasion in particular that I know I've talked about on other podcasts, but not very often because it's a pretty weird one. I was over at a friend's house. This is a friend whom I had just met maybe a year before. And my friend's roommate wanted a tarot reading. And I was like, all right, I can do that. So I got out my tarot deck. I shuffled it. 
And I used to do this thing where I would sort my tarot deck before I shuffled it, and I'm not sure if I did it this time or not, but regardless, I did shuffle. I shuffled well. I remember shuffling well. I remember having a good feeling. So I got ready to do the reading. My friends gathered around and watched. I think there were three or four of us there. And I did the reading, and it came up all cups. Every card. It was probably like a seven, eight-card reading. Every single one of them was a cup. And I remember just looking at it and just being so baffled. Like, the chances of that happening are so remote, so slim. And I was sort of like, oh, did I shuffle wrong? Did I, did I do something badly? Did I, did I lose track of myself? Did I sort the cards and then not shuffle enough? Like, what happened? And as I was staring, baffled at this spread that I just laid out in front of me, one of my friends who was watching fainted hit the ground and complained for weeks after that my tarot reading had dislocated their nose. That was probably the weirdest thing that happened when I was reading with this deck, but it wasn't the only weird thing. It would frequently do things like give all major arcana when it didn't need to, or give all face cards in strange situations, or just be too uncanny or too accurate or too weird. Or it would ask me to give strange, in-depth, very personal readings for non-personal questions or for things that didn't really require it. Eventually, I had to stop reading for other people with the alchemical tarot. Maybe this interview spread will be a good thing. Maybe this interview spread will help this tarot deck tell me why. Maybe it was trying to teach me something. Maybe it was trying to tell me something. Maybe it's haunted. I don't know. But let's get into it and find out. We're going to be using Fire Raven's original spread, original tarot interview spread from the Eclectic Tarot Forum. It uses six cards, and they're sort of laid out from bottom to top. I will have a diagram in the show notes so you can see. And the six cards answer these questions. One. Tell me about yourself. What is your most important characteristic? Two, what are your strengths as a deck? Three, what are your limits as a deck? Four, what do you bring to the table? What are you here to teach me? Five, how can I best learn from and collaborate with you? And then six, what is the potential outcome of our working relationship? As you can hear, these are questions that are good when you're first working with a tarot deck. But here I am, almost 20 years into my relationship with this tarot deck, and finally asking it the things that I should have asked at the beginning. Let's see how this goes. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to light a candle. I don't always do this with tarot readings. As I was setting up to record, I came across my largest and most intimidating brass candlestick, uh, which I typically use for Agathos Diamond workings when I'm doing them here at home. Um, it's got a nice big giant candle in it, and it just looks intimidating. So maybe it'll let, my, let the alchemical tarot know that I need mean business. So let's light that. I'm going to shuffle here.
Okay, Alchemical Tarot. Here we are. You and me. Looking across the table at each other. Ready for your interview. Card one. Tell me about yourself. What is your most important characteristic? Oh, God. <laughs> okay, well, we're starting off with uh, death. Card 13 in the Major Arcana. Uh, I mean, like I said, this deck gives weird readings, and maybe the whole thing is going to be weird. Death is a card about transformation and change. It's a card about inevitable transformation. I suppose, in a way, alchemy is about transformation, and it's hard to really know exactly what it's talking about. Uh, but I'll say this. The death card in the alchemical tarot is impressive and shocking. A skeleton stands atop a black sun, holding an arrow with green feathers, a blue shaft, and a red tip. On its left shoulder is a raven, and either billows of smoke or gray clouds waft behind it. Card 13 in the Major Arcana. Death. But yeah, this card is about inevitable change, transformation, transitions. It's not necessarily a difficult card, but it is a card about things changing. And looking back at my history with this deck, it's been the catalyst for a lot of change in my life. So I guess this card makes sense, even if it's kind of a spooky one. Card two. What are your strengths as a deck? The Four of Pentacles. In the Alchemical Tarot, this shows a man dressed in possibly furs with gray hair and a gray beard, burying four coins in what looks like could be a grave or a pit, a square pit. This is, an, this is a card about... The material world, the fours, the pentacles are always about the material world and fours are kind of cards of like stability. There's something in the four of pentacles that is kind of about like reservation, holding on to your material goods, preserving your material wealth and it's kind of like saving for a better time. As far as what are, your, what are your strengths as a deck, this kind of indicates to me that perhaps the deck isn't to be used in frivolous ways or for everyday readings or for just anything. Maybe it is a deck for special occasions. Maybe it is a deck that kind of like holds back. It could also indicate that perhaps it's not, it's a deck that is strong, particularly in matters that would have to do with the material world or saving the material world or even putting the material world on pause. That might be its strength. Card three, what are your limits as a deck? The Empress. I like this one. The Empress card is card three in the Major Arcana in the Alchemical Tarot. It shows a, a naked woman in the foreground leaning against a tree with a crown on her head. There is a baby standing at her side, and in the background there is an orange tree. In the distant background, there's a lake and a mountain and a beautiful blue sky. 
there's um, possibly corn or some sort of grain growing as well as flowers growing and uh, maybe some mushrooms or something in the foreground. It's kind of hard to see exactly what that is. The Empress, though, is a card about sort of like nurturing and protection and taking care of stuff. I've always sort of felt like the Empress card, you know, if the if a tarot deck was an Empress card, it would just say really nice things to you. And this this deck doesn't really do that. So I could see that fitting as a limitation. The Empress. Card four. What do you bring to the table? What are you here to teach me? Hmm. The five of wands. You know, when I first drew this card, I looked at it and I was kind of like, I don't really get it. But now I do. This card does make sense. In the alchemical tarot, the five of wands shows a right hand. The tips of the fingers look as if they're turning into wood and they're all on fire. So it's basically a hand with each of the fingertips on fire. But the message of this card is kind of important. Fives are about sort of like moving forward or breaking out of stasis or or having like new growth or new development. And wands deal with spiritual development or the or the world of spirit and and passion and things of that nature, right? Like in terms of what this deck then brings to the table, this would say something along the lines of I'm here to like break you out of stasis. I'm here to get you moving again. I'm here to stop you from sitting still. You know, the five of wands. I'm here to light your hand on fire. Maybe that's not the best way to look at it. But uh, but th- that does make sense. That, that reflects my experience with the deck. Five, how can I best learn from and collaborate with you? The nine of swords. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Okay, the Nine of Swords. <laughs> it's not as terrifying in this deck as it is in some others, but it shows eight swords hanging from a ceiling, points down, each one a different style. And down below, a very worried-looking person with no armor and one sword who looks as he's trying. It looks as if he's trying to prepare himself for all of these swords dropping. You know, the Nine of Swords, swords are a rough, rough suit sometimes. They can be pretty hairy. They tend to deal with the intellect. They're the realm of air. And I usually interpret them as having to do with inevitabilities, things that you can't avoid, things that are coming no matter what. And in this case, it is, you know, the Nine of Swords being sort of like the card of completion and the suit of air has to do with kind of like facing your fears, uncertainties, and doubts. In particular, doubt tends to be a really, really big one, self-doubt. How can I best learn from and collaborate with you? This indicates that this card is here to like sow doubt or, or that the deck might be here to sow doubt or at least help me face doubt or do something that kind of completes these intellectual tasks in the realm of air. Uh, I'm going to have to give this one some thought, but it does, again, you know, if we tie it back to that early death card, it does kind of make some really good sense to me. And finally, card number six, what is the potential outcome of our working relationship? Oh, 
the Queen of Vessels. Our first face card in this reading. And a card that has something in it that's kind of akin, though not really strongly, to the Empress. But let's talk about this a little bit. The Queen of Vessels deals with the realm of water. As a face card, every face card, you know, so queens are also the cards of water. So we basically have water of water. The queen of vessels is something about, you know, water is the emotional realm, emotional health, the emotional part of the soul. So the queen of vessels would be something about like taking care of emotional health, but also making decisions and sort of like providing wisdom with emotional health. Okay, overall, I have to say... This particular reading, let's see what we learned here. We started off with death, a card of transformation. And we have some cards that do sort of indicate that transformation is on the table. We have, you know, the four of pentacles, which is zero transformation. We have right in the middle of the reading, the five of wands, which is definitely a transformation card. It has to do with kind of like moving the spirit forward. But we also have these ideas that like the card isn't here to nurture me. You know, the empress over there is definitely saying like, that's my limit. I'm not doing that. Or if I am, that can be the only thing that I do. It does seem to be about having me face my doubts so that I can move towards the queen of vessels, which would indicate facing doubts so that I can make better decisions for my emotional well-being. There's something about this reading that I really like and something about this reading that is super baffling. I'm going to be sitting on it for a little while. Um, If you have thoughts on this reading, please feel free to share them. There will be, of course, a picture in the show notes that you can look at so that you can uh, help me figure out my alchemical tarot, my first edition alchemical tarot is trying to say to me. I had to take a little bit of a break to uh, think about that last spread and also to take some photos. So I'm back. And in this second part of this episode, we are going to be looking at the Moonlit Hermit Tarot. I'm excited about this part of it. I'm really, really excited about this deck. It's brand new. It was published earlier this year by Jay Swafford, as I'm sure you probably have caught if you have uh, watched me online or listened to my interviews for long enough. Uh, Jay is a friend of mine. And I not only drink beer with him regularly, but I have closely followed this deck's development since he began working on the cards, which I think was back in 2017. I think he started working on these cards shortly after he started working, or shortly after he finished doing his um, Picatrix Deccans cards, which are these gorgeous cards, uh, 36 of them, which reflect the Picatrix Deccans. And it could be that he started working on this deck before I even met him, because maybe I didn't even meet him till 2018. Anyhow, I know Jay, so disclaimer, I know him. Uh, this deck was a while in the making, and the process is really interesting. So Jay does paper cut collages where he intricately cuts out these patterns. He lays them out in his 
working area or sort of makes this sort of like scene, takes photographs of them. And then I believe he destroys the patterns so that they don't exist anymore. Just the photographs. They're ephemeral pieces of art that he uses to create his work. So the scenes have both solid color cutouts, but also every once in a while, photographs or pictures or magazines or something of that sort. They're very creative and very esoteric collages. Pretty incredible stuff. So this is going to be a challenge. It's going to be interesting and it's going to be a challenge. So the interesting part is I haven't really used the Moonlit Hermit Tarot very much. And this particular deck, so I, I had a I had a preview deck of his that I did play around with a little bit, but this is the full deck that is as published in its really nice two-part box. It has an extra four cards that uh, represent the... Well, they were originally meant to represent the Goetic Kings, Oriens, Paimon, Amaimon, and Egin, um, whose names are probably familiar to you if you've worked at all with the Goetic Spirits or Solomonic Magic. But Jay told me that after he put the cards together and got them ready to go into the box, he decided to not label them because he was like, I want these to be sort of open for any sort of interpretation. So there are those four bonus cards in here. And then there are also 78 cards, like a standard tarot deck. However, Jay based this on the Tarot de Marseille, which is way outside of my wheelhouse. You know, I've been using tarot for a very, very, very long time. And I do have like one or two other decks that are based on the Tarot de, Mar tarot de Marseille, but I don't read with them. They don't follow the same kind of system that I'm used to, which is very much a system based on the Rider-Waite-Smith um, and then sort of like updated with my own stuff and with stuff by other authors like Robert Place and Susie Chang and such. So this is going to be very new to me. I may not totally know how to interpret the cards. And you know what? There is certainly a non-zero chance that I'm going to have to consult Jay's little white book for this one. So there might be a time in here where I have to you know, do the old beginner tarot reader cheat and look in the book, which I think is going to be kind of exciting, you know? So let me describe the box to you. Uh, there are pictures, but of course, the tactile experience this deck is is something else. It's got a really, really solid two-part box that fits the cards very snugly. The inside of the box is decorated with Jay's art. The, the cards themselves are black on black on black. That's not true. They're, the artwork is very colorful, but they are black cards with sort of this like shimmery linen finish that is really nice to feel. And then in addition, the edges of the cards, they're edged in this gloss black that just shines when it catches the light, like the light from my giant intimidating candle. But I feel like the edges will probably kind of wear quickly. I, it's hard to tell you, you know, I haven't used this deck very much, but I feel like the edges might wear quickly and kind of give the deck kind of a broken in feeling pretty quickly, which kind of makes me feel like this is a deck that's meant to be used. So it sort of like becomes part of you. I suppose as part of a shameless plug, I will also mention that this deck is for sale on my website and I think it would make an excellent gift for your favorite tarot person aside from me because i already have it so you can go to arnamancy.com hermit and it will send you to a place where you can buy the deck uh, or you can 
check the show notes or just go to the website and see it. So yeah, let's find out. Let's find out what this deck has in store for me. This is an exciting one because, you know, having zero experience with this deck, it's going to be really neat to see how this reading compares to the Alchemical Tarot, which has been actively trying to screw up my life since 2003. Uh, So here we go. Here we go. Time to shuffle. I hope the sound of that shuffle came out well because these cards are like a tactile experience. The linen is just really nice. If you have the Word Witch's Fifth Spirit Tarot, which is also a fairly new deck, it's the same kind of finish as that. But the the edging on these gives it this weird, almost like sharp crispness. And when you do the riffle after the bridge, it does this like whistle little tiny whistle as they're all going together and even when you you know um just do the the in your hand i don't even know what that's called but it still makes this little like flip 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 beautiful cards god this card these cards are great i'm i'm just buttering them up so that they give me a good reading Uh, i'm cutting now and here we go card one tell me about yourself what is your most important characteristic Well, we're just starting off with the Queen of Cups. The Queen of Cups. Here we are. Face cards. I'm just going to read this like I would normally read a Queen of Cups. Because I I just got it. It was like the last card in the last interview spread, which is just a fascinating thing to have happen. A strange coincidence for sure. Uh, This card has basically like a queen dressed in red and blue and green with a yellow belt and a crown, with a scorpion tail coming out of either the top of her head or her back, and she holds an orb on a pedestal, which is usually, which I believe is pretty easy to interpret as a symbol of kind of terrestrial power. But again, you know, I usually interpret cups as having to do with the mental or with the emotional world, and the Queen of Cups as being like at least somewhat of an authority or a controller or a decision maker. That would indicate that this deck might be something that is really good for situations that are emotionally entangling, emotionally difficult. Maybe it's something that can help you get your head on straight in terms of the emotional world. Number two. What are your strengths as a deck? Oh, the Page of Cups. I mean, okay, so the fact that these two cards are normally very close together in the deck does make me a little suspicious that I didn't shuffle enough. If I keep getting cups, I will hopefully not faint. Hopefully what I will do instead is uh, reshuffle and redo the reading. Uh, But let's assume that I'm doing this right. So the Page of Cups, uh, it looks like a child's face with no eyes and a veil over it, dressed in blue and red, a blue doublet, red sleeves. The Page of Cups also has a very similar orb with a base in in its hand, but the lid has been taken off. This, I have an instinctual feeling about this one too. So 
a lot of times when I read the face cards, I kind of read them as a story where they start off with the king and they go king, queen, knight, page. They sort of like build and turn into like something new. The fact that the lid is kind of like off in this one indicates to me sort of a revelation or a bringing into the world of whatever issue the cups are meant to deal with, right? So this would be sort of like the revelation of emotion, the um, the unveiling and unmasking of emotion. And I like this too, you know, it fits for what are your strengths as a deck. Card three, what are your limits as a deck? Now, if this is also cups, I will probably reshuffle. Oh, Oh, <laughs> oh man, you guys are going to love this card. The Ace of Wands. I I mean, okay, it's a great card. It's an interesting one for this position. I am sort of struck speechless by the artwork and trying to figure out how to describe it to you. So there's this fanged mouth in a blue vortex. Out of the mouth comes a human hand that is grasping a green wand that that is rimmed with blue fire but it has leaves coming off of it so it's a it's a living wand it's a tree branch or a plant stalk or something of that nature but it's also some kind of lamp or torch at the top of the wand there is a glowing red ball of rock or magma that has flames coming off of it and these auras of fire sort of spreading out from it it is an intense card uh it it was a shock to see and i'm sort of thinking like what are your limits as a deck you know actually this might be a difficult limit card the ace of wands aces are all about sort of beginnings new starts new things and the ace of wands is uh, is I always think of it as like the first minor arcana. It's like the one that starts it all off, where that divine spark like starts a chain of events in motion, the prime cause or the first effect of the prime cause. So as a limit card, it might be indicating that this isn't a card that can start new things, but maybe this isn't a deck that can start new things. So it must more likely be a deck that can resolve existing things. Card four. What do you bring to the table? What are you here to teach me? Another wand, the page of wands. And another card that is going to be so difficult to... Okay, I like this though. It's a page. It's associated with the uh, the with the strengths card, you know, card number two, which I think is a really, really good tie-in. So let me just describe this thing. There is a creature that appears to be somewhat humanoid that is the main focus of this card. It looks like we're looking at a bisected head, uh, you know, so you can see like the brain and the spinal column and the inside of the mouth. It's sort of like a uh, head that's been cut in half lengthwise. There are twin serpents twined around the neck of this head that trail down to the ground and look like legs. The body looks like a combination of fire and blood vessels with these skeletal arms, skeletal one skeletal and one sort of muscly skeletal arm, both of them without skin, coming out and grasping a long green wand that has little tongues of fire flicking out of it. And on the ground 
are a collection of tools, carpenter's tools, it looks like. Again, I'm going to interpret the page card as sort of like the result of effort, the the revealing of effort. And this being the page of wands, it's kind of like it it ties into the page of cups so well. I, I would interpret this card, oh, right, and I totally forgot that there's some sort of like yellow psychic spirally thing coming out of the middle of the brain up near the top of the card. So there's, there's a lot going on here. It's a weird one. Um, and I'm just, I'm just going to interpret this as like your passion, your divine spark or the divine spark sort of being blossomed into existence by this card. Yeah. Like the building project is finished. The dissection has happened. The, twin snakes twine around your neck and the monster lives card five how can i best learn from and collaborate with you oh shit oh this is a good one the four of swords whoa okay this is a good one and again the card it look it's packed with with symbolism there are four swords, two pointing down, two pointing up. Between the two swords at the bottom that are pointing up, there is a golden pyramid with sort of like a blue spirally design in it. Flanking the two swords at the top pointing down, there are two white spirals on blue backgrounds. In the center, being pierced by the two downward swords, is a box that looks like it is shattered and cracked. It has four words in it. Stability, establishment, fixity, and constancy. Those four things being destroyed. I mean, that just seems like, that just seems like the message right there. How can I best learn from and collaborate with you? These is, is really saying like this deck teaches you how to break free of things that are holding you down, break free of things that are making stuff stay the same. You know, I was talking in the last reading about how fours, especially with the four of pentacles, fours tend to indicate sort of like stability and things staying the same. Um, And I don't know if the elements have different meanings in Marseille, so I'm just going to interpret this the way I know how, which is that air cards do have to do with uh, inevitability and fours tend to have to do with stability. But here we have stability being stabbed so i'm gonna say that this is really talking about like making existing things happen the whole reading so far seems to be the cards indicating that this deck is about finishing existing things bringing existing things to completion and not necessarily like starting over and abandoning stuff but like moving forward our final card number six what is the potential outcome of our working relationship. <gasps> the Ace of Swords. I like it. Okay, so there's a human hand coming out. It's surrounded by blue glowing wind, and it's it's holding a sword that points upwards, uh, piercing a crown at the top. There's leaves coming out of the crown. Uh, it looks like some sort of, it's probably laurel and myrtle or something of that nature. Uh, a lot of this, this, this particular card has similarities with what you've seen before in Ace of Swords designs, but there is one very important difference. There is a ribbon going behind the card. On one side of the ribbon, it says Solwe, and on the other, Coagula, which is uh, to dissolve and coagulate. They are 
important, critical alchemical terms. The Ace of Swords is about new things. It is about new concepts and ideas. So what did we learn? I think one possibly troubling thing that we learned is that I ended up with two cups, two wands, two swords, all drawn in a row. I'm going to just look into the deck here and see... Uh, okay, you know what? I am looking and I do not see that pattern being repeated, which means that I did indeed shuffle well and I cut and everything like that. So it's not necessarily a bogus shuffle job. It just ended up being that way. I got two cups, then two wands, then two swords. Even that right there is kind of an interesting pattern, uh, which is definitely going to take a little bit of additional contemplation and thinking and I'm kind of feeling like the big message in this particular reading is that this is a deck for getting unstuck and for revealing or finishing projects, bringing things to completion. Because what it ends with, that six, the potential outcome, is the Ace of Swords, which could really indicate like a new idea, a burst of new creativity, a burst of new creation. But... In the meantime, we have things that are basically saying like this isn't for this isn't for the Ace of Wands. This is for the Ace of Swords, and you get to the Ace of Swords through dealing with emotion, dealing with creativity, and breaking through stability that might be holding you down. I like this reading. This is. And I also, I have to say, I really like this deck. You know, it's it's difficult uh, when I have a, I definitely have a prejudice towards uh, Tarot de Marseille style decks where I am just always sort of assuming like, oh God, this is going to be a little boring. But there was nothing here that was boring. Every card made me stop and be like, whoa. So um, I think that there's a lot to think about with this one too. And I'm going to have to take some time to ponder it. But for now, I'm just going to take some pictures so that you can see my reading and then we'll wrap everything up. So stay tuned. So I want to ask, is this a useful tool? Is the tarot interview, the tarot deck interview, a useful tool? Yes, I think so. Again, I would say it's difficult to evaluate how useful it is until I work with these decks a little bit more. With the alchemical tarot, of course, that means going back to revisit an old and slightly crazy friend uh, to work with a little, a little bit more, maybe with myself, maybe with some other querents to see how it progresses or how it answers questions. I suspect both of the decks, or what I'm going to have to do with both of the decks, is do some contemplation, tarot contemplation. Tarot contemplation of the alchemical tarot is going to be weird. You know, that was like one of the things that I started with or that I had very, very early on and have not gone back to. Contemplation with Jay's new deck with the Moonlit Hermit is going to be sort of fresh and new, but I don't really do daily tarot contemplation anymore, or at least not with regularity. I hope Susie Chang isn't listening to this, or she's probably going to have words for me. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So I would say yes. I would. I'll, I'll have uh, the 
actual reading in the show notes. Maybe I'll do a separate blog post about it. Who even knows? And I would say that you, dear listener, since you made it all the way to this part of the show, must be a tarot fan and are probably not uh, entirely 100% a fan of me bamboozling myself and speaking to inanimate objects. But who knows? Maybe that also floats your boat and I am not really here to judge. You do you. Time will tell if the tarot interview spread will be a useful tool for me. I'm definitely going to try it again the next time I get a new deck, or maybe with some other newer decks that I haven't really had a chance to play around with. And let me, I'll find out. I'll find out what uh, what comes of it. So let's talk about the decks I used. First of all, the Alchemical Tarot from Robert M. Place. I was using the first edition, and uh, while it's very nice, it uh, it's been out of print for a zillion years. And currently, the Alchemical Tarot is in its fifth revised edition. This edition looks pretty cool. It looks like it's got some changes to the artwork. It looks like the artwork takes up more of the card, which I have to say would be my main complaint about the deck. Um, and it looks just beautiful and amazing. Uh, it sells out frequently. Like uh, I feel like every time I go to look and see if I can get a replacement deck or a backup of the Alchemical Tarot, it's in a new edition. So I'll have a link to a place where you can buy the Alchemical Tarot from Robert M. Place in the show notes. So you can look there. The Moonlit Hermit Tarot from Jay Swafford is currently for sale on my website in the Arnomancy shop. There is a link to the show notes that you can go to for that, or you can just type into your browser arnomancy.com slash hermit, and it will take you right there. Uh, I think this deck is incredible, and I know that it seems self-serving to be talking about the deck that I am selling on my website, but I just got to say, it impressed me. It impressed me today. Um, near the beginning of the episode, I mentioned the Hermetic Agora, which is a Discord chat server uh, where like-minded occultists, magicians, and mystics gather to discuss hermeticism and related topics, including, of course, things like divination, magic, uh, mysticism, religion, and that sort of stuff. You're welcome to join us. Please come and join us. There will be an invitation link in the show notes. And then one last thing. I'm recording this episode two days before my birthday and the holidays are coming up and I would just like to ask you one tiny favor. It's a free favor. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend about it. For a small independent podcast like this, word of mouth is the best way to help us grow our audience. So go find your weird tarot friend or your weird magic friend or your weird witch friend and tell them about the Arnomancy podcast and get them to check out your favorite episode. If you do that, that would be the finest gift you could possibly give me your small independent podcast host, Reverend Eric. Oh yeah. Let's also talk about like what's coming up in the next couple months. So it's November now. We have a few more guest episodes. And then at the very end of the year, I will, of course, have 
our 2022 forecast two-parter with some of your favorite recurring divination experts. Um, and then after that, there will be a short break of a couple of weeks or three weeks, perhaps, while I prepare a really special series of episodes all about Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa's three books of occult philosophy. Because let me tell you, I have a lot of the three books of occult philosophy right now, and I've been going through them and coming up with all sorts of questions and all sorts of topics. So make sure you tune in in 2022, which will be a uh, an Agrippa kind of year or an Agrippa kind of month or two, at least, as we go through those. Well, thank you, listener. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for giving me your ear. I hope that you and yours have an excellent holiday season. This has been another episode of the Arnamancy Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I have been your host, Reverend Eric. You can find Arnamancy online at arnamancy.com, and you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting the Arnamancy Project for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. 